everyone and welcome to Behind the Screams. My name is Ian as always and joining me in this week's big relaunch episode we have Lucy. Hey cool. Hey zombie. How you doing? I'm doing all right how are you? Good thank you. Uh, We are also joined by the third and final member probably the most important, clearly, member of the Cackle crew, it's Lindsay. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Sup, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. And I'm just completely frazzled because I have no idea what's going on. For those of you who are listening to us on the download, um, we are obviously now broadcasting all of our episodes completely live to a live audience, which we have over on Twitch. Um, So it might be slightly different for you guys listening on the download. You might hear us interacting with a live chat. You might hear, I don't know, me making some more mistakes and maybe being a little bit more casual than I usually am. I don't know. Am I normally? I'm pretty casual anyway, aren't I? Um, So yeah, yeah, it's going to be a little bit different. But uh, this is episode number 139. Can you believe we're at that high a number? already and in today's show we're gonna be talking about Candyman. i am fucking stoked for this <laughs> <laughs> honestly like we took that little break and i was like fuck now i've got an extra like two weeks we wait till we do Candyman, right because i'm gonna let the cat out of the bag straight off the fucking bat right if you like this is one of my favorite movies of all time not just horror movies of any movie um so i have been dying to talk about this movie i know Lindsay, you had not seen this movie before and uh i'm always i'm I'm always interested to get your opinions too lucy but i'm always very interested to know uh what Lindsay thinks specifically of like my favorites so um Uh, Yeah, I'm very, very much excited for that. Um, Before we get into the movie, obviously, we've got a few pieces of housekeeping to do. I know you just explained it to our live audience in the pre-show, Lucy, but can you quickly just go over again your fundraiser for Pride Month, please? Yes. um, So I will be fundraising for the entire month of June on Twitch um, in celebration of Pride for the charity Mermaids. Um, In February, we did... Uh, a fundraiser for the Trevor Project for LGBT History Month. Um, so for Pride, fundraising for Mermaids. If you don't know Mermaids, um, they're a UK-based charity, one of the first and probably the biggest LGBTQ plus charity that supports specifically transgender and gender non-conforming children and their, and, um, their families, housing, gender clinics, counselling, the variety of resources that they so desperately need. Um, and I'll be having weekly guests on the Twitch channel um, from makeup artists, like, so- sorry, there's a car going off, <laughs> like Soap Serve Space. Um, I've got a couple other streamers getting involved and um, playing all the gay games in mm. uh, on twitch so yeah I, w- I wonder who those streamers are <laughs> <laughs> and uh where can people find you on the socials yes if you want to follow me on the socials you can find me on twitch and twitter at lulu underscore p yeah so please go and do support that wonderful cause we'll be posting all those links across our social medias as well and like like lulu the- I call you Lulu, Lucy, Lulu. Ah, it confuses me because we're on Twitch. We're on (laughs) Twitch and it confuses me. And I only ever call you Lulu on Twitch. Um, Yeah, it's going to be all over our social media. So please go and donate if you have that that spare cash. Uh, It is a very wonderful cause. So please, please go and do that. Uh, Lindsay, where can people find you on the socials? 
I'm on all social media at HyattsLindsay underscore. Awesome. You can find my personal Twitter at IanForest12. Um, I've actually been posting there like quite a lot recently, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. Um, so yeah, go follow me on there. Uh, you can find my personal Twitch. Oh, I have a Twitch as well, uh, <laughs> which is twitch.tv forward slash forest underscore 9191. We play a variety of games there. I was streaming Dark Souls 3 earlier today and I, I, I'm not going to lie, I'm getting good. I'm actually getting good and I'm very, very proud of myself. Um, and then later on this week on, f- what day is today? Tuesday on Friday I'm going to be starting the Arkham series which is going to be a lot of fun as well so I'm very very much looking forward to that um I think that's it isn't it for for this for the the housekeeping getting myself all muddled I don't like it uh shall we just get into this week's uh episode topic then yeah hi awesome right we are talking about Candyman Have you ever heard of Candyman? And if you look in the mirror and you say his name five times. In cities everywhere. Candyman? They whisper his name. Right? Candyman. It's just a story. Candyman? Candyman. Just a ghost story. Candyman. An entire community starts attributing the daily horrors of their lives to a mythical figure. The legend first appeared in 1890. He was attacked, mutilated, and burned to death. Poor Candyman. Helen, a woman died in there. Leave it. Everyone knows he isn't real. That's modern oral folklore. Everyone. Except Helen Lyle. Bernadette! It ain't safe around here. I don't scare too easy. Wanna know about Ruthie Jane? They ain't never gonna catch him. Who? Candyman. Who is that? I came for you. Do I know you? Now she is about to discover. Helen? What's behind the mystery? I'm sick. What's behind the legend? Listen, he's under the bed! And most terrifying of all... Come with me. What's behind the mirror? He's here. Candyman, you don't have to believe. Just beware. This movie was released in 1992, was directed by Bernard Rose, written by Clive Barker, and stars Virginia Madsen, Tony Todd, and Xander Berkeley. The IMDb plot is as follows. The Candyman, a murderous soul with a hook for a hand, is accidentally summoned to reality by a skeptic grad student researching the monster's myth. So, Lindsay, I want to come to you first since you have not seen this movie what are your initial thoughts um 
Because I think that Candyman is pretty much a widely beloved classic. Oh yeah, like with good reason. Like I, I thought it was a really good film. There are a few days that like did make me a bit uncomfortable, but I think that's more to do with the fact that it was made in 1992 and not really the film itself. Um, after watching it, I'm just buzzing to see the the new one that's going to come out this year and see what Naya Costa is going to do with the source material in a 2021 lens. It's not only that as well, because there's so many people who's like, oh, the Candyman reboot is coming this year. And it's not a reboot, it's a sequel. It oh, is right. a sequel to the original. The main character um, in, uh, but spoilers for the live audience, by the way, because you don't hear the spoiler alert. Uh, the main character in the Candyman that we're getting this year is the baby from, from oh, this Candyman right. that we're talking about. Uh, um, Wendy Williams, who plays... Uh, uh Anna May is Anna Marie in this movie Anne Marie yeah um she's also returning in some form and of course Tony Todd is also returning in some form because he couldn't have he couldn't have Candyman without Tony Todd right can I just say Tony Todd's so fucking hot in this film (laughs) his voice is like silk it's like ASMR yeah like that moment in the car park where he's just like Helen, I'm surprised she didn't put a wee wet floor sign do next to her. Get the mop. <laughs> Get that fucking mop and bucket because she is dripping. See, Candyman doesn't do it for me, but Tony does, if that makes sense. You're not a fan of the bees. I love bees, but I'm not, like, one of the things I kind of like about this film, it makes it really different, is that it kind of reminds me of like gothic romance novels. Like I get a lot of like Kathy and Heathcliff vibes from Candyman and Helen. And those relationships are just very problematic and I don't support them. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, uh, Lucy, you obviously had seen this movie before, even though I was under the impression that you hadn't. Um, No, thanks. (laughs) I know, I know it's terrible of me. But uh, what are, give me your just sort of overall impressions of this movie. When did you see it for the first time? I'd watched it a lot later. This came out before I was born because I'm a youngin, you know. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I, I remember seeing like, because the movie poster is iconic with the bees and everything like that. I remember seeing that really young, but I think I was maybe like 18 when I had seen it. It was like, it was a while. Um, and then I hadn't watched it in years till till doing it for the podcast. And I forgot like how good Tony Todd is in this. Cause like, I know Tony Todd from Star Trek. Cause I'm a big Star Trek, Star Trek fan. He's in, you know, plays Worf's brother in Next Generation, is in Deep Space Nine. And he's just such a fucking good actor in this. Like, it's just chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. So good. Become a behind the screams trope, that little chef's kiss. Ever since Lindsay first whipped it out when <laughs> we were doing teeth. <laughs> and that infamous clip of a dick falling out of a vagina. A severed <laughs> dick at that. Chef's kiss. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> we love to see it. But yeah, um, as you probably, as I've alluded to, this is uh, one of my absolute favorites. Tony Todd is just sensational for me in this movie. Um, there's a few things that I obviously want to go over specifically before we sort of talk about certain scenes, and then 
we can talk about any issues we have and things like that. The first thing, and the, this is the thing I love the most about this movie, and it's actually got nothing to do with Tony Todd or Virginia Madsen or any of the characters or deaths or anything like that. The thing I love the most about this movie is the score. The music to this movie is so fucking beautiful. Philip Glass did an absolutely amazing job scoring this movie. He actually didn't realise that he was scoring a, a slasher flick when they asked him to do it. He thought they were doing a really artsy uh, interpretation of a Clive Barker story, when in actual fact they were making a relatively cheap slasher movie. Uh, and apparently he does not like the movie at all. Um but I think the score was just phenomenal. What do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. Like, I I feel like as well, like, I was, I was thinking about this last night when I was watching it, like, if you shut your eyes, I think you would think this was, like, some kid's, like, fantasy movie or something. And I think that kind of adds to this, like, I, well, idea that I had that I feel like it's got very, like, goth, gothic romantic vibes to it. And I think that just adds to it. And I think that's what makes it, special as well like this is a slasher film but it's not like any other slasher film you'll ever watch and the score is part and parcel of that i think what does it for me with the score is as well like you watch a horror film and you're used to hearing like you know big loud you know sound cues big jump scares mm. with the music mm. the music for this one is quite whimsical at times yeah. isn't it you know um it's like it's ethereal quite... and like still like you're floating like it's, it's, it's quite funny because like I remember when I used to play the, the, the when I played the horror video game Layers of Fear for the first time and I thought that had a very similar score to this movie like sound wise it sounded yeah. a bit the same um, but Tony Todd actually narrates uh, Layers of Fear 2 which I didn't realize until I played it very recently and I was like I know that voice and it was Tony Todd. Uh, Lucy what do you think of the score to this? No, I love the score. And we've spoken time and time again on here that a score, I mean, not just for horror, but I think horror in particular, it can really make or break a movie. Um, you know, we've seen movies without a score where it's done really well. We've seen scores that are not so great. Um, but I, th I think um, they did a really good job here. And like you'd said, Lindsay, it, remind, it almost reminds me of even those vampires like an Anne Rice novel like the way the the music is it's very ethereal and it suits the script as well because Candyman when he speaks it's like these beautiful soliloquies like very well spoken it's like very brutal but also like very pretty and the way that he speaks I feel like that f the score kind of matches that really well so I like it yeah definitely and, and the fact that you know um Tony Todd or the Candyman or um, I don't think he's actually named in this movie. He's named in the sequels. He has an actual name. His name's Daniel Robitaille. Um, but the, it's, it's, I think it's very important in this movie that he was very well-spoken, that he was someone who had been portrayed as being educated and wealthy during their lifetime because there's not a lot of black slasher villains out there. And it would have been so easy for them to just slip into that stereotype when it came to the villain, like classic sort of racial stereotypes that 
you know, unfortunately are all too present throughout so many horror movies and movies in general and just society. And uh, I think it was really important that they didn't do that with the Candyman. Now, don't get me wrong, there are racial stereotypes in this film. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about some of those aspects, you know, when we get into it. But I think it was really, really important that they didn't do that to the Candyman himself. And that, like you say, you know, he almost has this sort of singing he almost speaks like he's singing, doesn't he? It's yeah. like he's wooing Helen as well at the times when he's speaking to her. And, uh, you know, it would have wooed me. <laughs> it would have wooed me. Um, but he also has, like, some really incredible, like, one-liners as well. Like, just really sort of this, like, powerful lines, you know, what's blood uh, if not for shedding and... With my hook for a hand, I'll split you from groin to gullet. And there's a whole load more. And there's, you know, references to Shakespeare in this movie. It does, even though it's a slasher film, it does kind of feel like a highbrow slasher film, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> which definitely. Is, which is funny as well, because as much as it comments on racial, racial stereotypes, it also comments on classism as well. And, you know, the poverty people who live in poverty as well so i always thought that that was kind of interesting that it made those sorts of comments too that's what i'm really excited about for the sequel as well is in a 2021 lens how are they going to address institutional racism and poverty because you know like say there is a lot of stereo there is still stereotyping in this movie but there's a lot of things that they touch upon that are still prevalent today but um uh, it'll be interesting to see how how they address it well, we'll, if you we'll just get into take, that. sorry, um, if you just take like the actual setting of where Candyman is set as well, like there's so much like historical stuff about Caprini Green to unpack, but Caprini Green's not there anymore. It's become a victim of gentrification. It's high-priced condos and shopping malls and stuff like that as well, and that's a really like prevalent problem in both America and the UK of people buying like buying out like poorer areas which mostly inhabit people of colour and then rising the price of them astronomically to basically like buy them out of the area and like with Kabuni Green in particular I think they knocked the last one down in like the 2010s some of those people didn't even get to stay in Chicago because they couldn't afford it they got displaced to other states even as well so like that is a good point to bring up like I do wonder what they're going to do in regards to that in the next one yeah it's been tough because i've been trying to stay as spoiler free from or, or rumor free because obviously the movie's not out yet so there's no real spoilers that are out but i've just been trying to stay like completely rumor free from the remake because it was before the pandemic last year like one of the movies where i was like that was at the top what the very top of my list and it still is at the very top of my list but obviously because it got delayed and things because of the pandemic now i'm just like even more itching to see it i'm like come on i just want to see this 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 movie um so you're right it will be really really interesting to see how they compare um how they match up and and the messages that are portrayed in this movie uh in comparison to the messages that were portrayed in the original um, as well. Like you say, there's obviously an almost 30 year gap between the two movies. How much has changed? And my guess is probably not very much. No. Okay, right. Um, so 
let's get into certain aspects of this movie. Shall we just go through things as we sort of go along? Um, first things up, I want to talk about the character of Helen, because she's obviously our main character. She's our star, and I think she is brilliant in this film. I think she is such like a badass woman without being like overtly over the top you know she's it's very natural she gives i think a very natural performance um i love the fact that nine times out of ten she's smoking a fag and having some beer and uh, i think she's just great in this movie um what do you guys think of like her overall performance before we get into specific scenes Overall, I think she is very authentic. There is a couple scenes near the end, which we'll talk about, and I kind of felt like she maybe faded away a little bit. There's just kind of one scene where I'm like, oh, we'll get into it. But I think overall, she plays this really well. Besides Tony Todd, she's definitely my favourite in this. I mean, she, she's main well, one of the main protagonists, but... Um... <laughs> I was, I was just to say, like, besides Tony Todd, she's your favourite. There's really no one else to like in this film. <laughs> Bernadette, well, we like Bernadette, but like, Outside of those characters, like, you know, Trevor, we're, none of us is going to like Trevor. I know where the conversation about Trevor is going to go. None of us is going to like Stacey, you know, or the, the arsehole friend at the dinner. You know, none of us are going to like those people. So there's really only, you know, three people to like in this movie. And one of them is our main antagonist. One of them is our main protagonist, you know, so. Everyone else is a dick. <laughs> Isn't that just life? <laughs> I mean, true. <laughs> Lindsay, what do you think? Helen annoyed the fuck out of me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought she was so annoying. It just, oh, I can't even put my finger on it. But yeah, like, it took me quite a while to warm to her. Like, I kind of, it actually really took me the second watch. I was like, when I watched it the second time, I was like, oh, maybe she's not that bad. But yeah, like, the first time I watched it, she was just really pissing me off. Like, I think it is like something to do with the setting, like her whole study is, oh, how do how do black people rationalize all the terrible things that are going on about them? Oh, of course they're all fucking stupid and believe in a candy man, don't they? And I just find something like really ignorant about that. And it's like, you're studying urban legends when you actually maybe could be doing something worthwhile, like, I don't know, getting more money put into the area, more awareness, like into this slum that all these people live in. But instead, she's looking up about Candyman. There is a bit of this wave about her, wave, aura, whatever you want to say about it, where it, it kind of feels like she maybe thinks she's a little bit better than of everybody else. She's like, I'm a white woman and yes, I'm university educated and mm -hmm. you know, I'm doing my postgraduate degree, but I'm doing it on this subject about urban legends and I'm going into the projects and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm really doing it. You know what I mean? She just seems kind of like, oh, I'm not like every other white person, you know, I'm doing this and like, I, I don't know. I, I get where you're coming from there. I do get a little bit of that kind of superiority complex. Yeah, like... Yeah, there was just something about her that just rubbed me up the wrong way. Um, yeah. Uh, human. <laughs> no, I do see where you're coming from. I do, I guess as well, you could almost comment as well and saying like, she seems like the kind of person to be like, oh, well, my best friend is black as well. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. because obviously we've got um, Bernadette there who 
just seems to play the best friend in the films that she's in. She's also Jodie Foster's best friend in The Silence of the Lambs. Um, it's another film that's mildly problematic. <laughs> um, I just, like, part of me wished that Helen and Bernadette had been switched. Well, um, it's actually funny you mention that because Helen was originally meant to play the role of Bernadette and it was actually the wife of the director, Bernard Rose, who was going to play Helen. And uh, the wife actually ended up dropping out. And uh, so Virginia Madsen got that role. Uh, and obviously Casey Lemons is, was playing uh, Bernadette. So Virginia Madsen was never on board originally to play Helen. She was on board to play Bernadette. So it's actually, it's quite interesting that you mentioned that, you know, you think she should have been Bernadette instead. Okay. And right. There's an elephant in the room here and it's called fucking Trevor. This motherfucker. <laughs> it was just like, like Helen was stupid. Like, obviously, like she's going for her doctorate and stuff. And when, you can just tell straight away there's something going on between him and his student. And she looks so young. Like, saying I was watching it earlier today, I was just like, you're a pedo. Like, <laughs> legit though. Like, especially. Sorry, I'll let you go on. I'm going to rant after. <laughs> no, keep, no, go on, go on. Like, we see this time and time again, no matter, like, in in every Western university, especially in humanities departments as well. We see these male professors that think they're holier than now because they got their PhD in this fucking really niche area. And then like, but it's just this massive pervy vibes. The minute, and you see like the girls come into the front, you know, after the lecture and he's just this very like, oh, it's just creepy vibes from the start. You knew, you knew immediately he was going to shag that student. Like you could just see it I, and he I, just, I despise him with every fibre of my being. And it's ha- like a coiled spring waiting for Helen to get put His in penis. the mental hospital. <laughs> and it's just like, right, here's my opportunity. That's she, clocks, she clocks it straight away as well. I mean, which I when like. Stacey shakes her hand too, I'm like, you're going to be snake. I know the <laughs> fucking... And fucking She's balls got such on a it. brass neck. I'll the like, audacity of <laughs> that. The audacity. <laughs> the ball and the gumption. Stop stealing all my lines, you two. Fucking hell. <laughs> I don't believe Ace, you. thank you very much. I don't think you own the word audacity. <laughs> I do. I'm going to get it copyrighted. <laughs> uh, you're doing it for behind the screen, so it'd be copyright behind the screens. <laughs> um, but this guy throughout the entire movie like it doesn't get any better like it's not a case of like oh he's flirting with this student you can never quite let that go as well because he is just such a dickhead to Helen throughout the entire film almost every single interaction they have he is such a prick see when he jumped on the bed jail I was fuming. I was like, I paused the film and I had a run. I was like, who fucking behaves like that? (laughs) But it's like as well, like when they're at that lunch, that dinner with uh, his friend. Oh, he doesn't even stick up for her. That's what I'm saying. And by the way, I can't can't remember his name. He's a Culkin, um, but I can't remember his first name. The guy who plays his friend. 
is so fucking rude and so sexist and this as well. The first, literally the first type line he says is, um, what's the two most beautiful graduates, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, take a fucking look at yourself. Like, honestly, who wants to go near you? Like, I would need, like, a deep scrub if I went anywhere near that man. I know, like, that whole interaction, like, makes me feel so uncomfortable. Because she says, she sacked big one as well, which I'm just like, shut up. And she's like, I'm going to bury It's It's words on a bit of paper, hen, calm down. Like, <laughs> I'm going to bury you. And then... Oh, he's like, oh, I know everything about Kanye, man. And that whole interaction as well, actually, when he's telling the whole story, and it's just very much, I need to talk about that story as well, but it's just like him talking about like this slavery story and lynching and like race relations in a certain time in America. What does the right do? Pan in on a white woman's face to see how she reacts to it. Because that's what we need, a white woman's reaction to lynching. Yeah, appropriate. But as well, right, when they're in that story and they're like, oh, they did this and they did that. <laughs> Which fucking joker was like, oh, I know what will, I know how to teach them. We'll, <laughs> we'll rub honey all over this sexy naked body. Yeah, that'll teach him. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Isn't that your first in- instinct when you're like trying to get revenge on someone? No. It's like what the like I was watching again today and I'm like, what like how does this make any sense whatsoever? Like who decided to do that? Bernard Rose. <laughs> or I don't know, it could have been Clive Barker. I don't know. I've not read the original uh, book, The Forbidden. Have well, any of you read? Eh? What, what are you? What? What did you just say? <laughs> I said you're a fake fan. Oh, shots fired. I think actually, just to take take that point into a side, I think a lot of people do kind of sometimes forget, maybe specifically, you know, um, more casual fans do, will probably not know or forget that this is actually a Clive Barker story. Mm. Um, He's a great writer. And did one of my other favourite movies of all time in Hellraiser. Um, You know, I absolutely adore Hellraiser. Um, And, and this one as well, a great writer. So yeah, like, I think it's important that people do know that this is a Clive Barker story. Can I just say as well, though, at this point that Bernard Rose is the director of this movie. You're talking about like, who thought of this and things like that. Bernard Rose himself is, I believe, mildly problematic. Oh. Um, not, I don't think he's came out and said very, various things or anything like that. I just think he's a bit of a fucking rude prick. Mm. Like, so... Like most men. I mean, true. Like that scene at the dinner table, I was like, why do men? Why do men even? Like this, I've said it once, I'll say it again. This professor that feels the need to mansplain, you know, he just screams this energy of, I studied 13th Russian, my PhD, and I got published once in a book, suck my dick, please. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, it gives off very small peen energy. Very, very small peen energy um okay so we we get the, the bernadette and helen they go to cabrini green to obviously try and get some sort of first-hand experience and maybe get some like first-hand stories of the candy man uh we get 
the sort of scene where there's a hidden room in behind the medicine cabinet or the bathroom cabinet or whatever you want to call it. And I, I, I don't like, I think this is generally relatively common knowledge. All of those sort of extras that were in this scene were all real gang members from Cabrini Green. The crew actually went to Cabrini Green. That's the actual building. Um, and they had to hire crew members, uh, gang members to be in the in the crew number one for their own protection uh, and number two i think that was just the only reason they were allowed to film there and i actually quite like that though because i think it was it, it very much appeared quite authentic mm-hmm. you know that scene where her and bernadette are sort of pulling up to the building and they're all sort of surrounding them and they're cat calling them and you know they're screaming up the stairs being like oh it's the 5-0 and you know blah 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 and you do kind of picture that that was probably what it would be like to walk through there as someone who wasn't from there. What I kind of liked about this whole scene as well is kind of the lead up to it. Well, not liked, but what I thought was interesting is that like in the car, they're like talking about going to Caprini Green and it's like so many microaggressions, but Bernadette is also kind of inferring them as well and like saying like oh this is what it's like and blah 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 and it's like this like anti-black discourse is not just exclusive to like white people like I could probably make an assumption that Bernadette was brought up like in a middle class area and she too has like absorbed this white like anti-black rhetoric that like all poor black people are bad and it's just like I bet none of these people are really bad they're just living a bad situation and are trying to make the best of it and she too is like terrified of these people for like no reason really yeah yeah like there's a couple of points in there that I want to sort of pick up on there's that scene where Helen sort of explained it to her that the building that she actually lives in was also meant to be part of the project and yes. Bernadette's like get like she's like get fucked like are you for real and it's like she very much looks her nose down at that you know and she acts very snobbish about it doesn't she yeah and she's like oh how much did you pay for it and like Helen's like oh don't ask and it's like this assumption that like social housing has to be minging it's like you you live in a social housing building you silly bitch Uh, that's a really interesting rhetoric though because like like you say you can be you can have race you can have racism or anti-blackness and be black you can be homophobic and be part of the lgbtq plus community you can be ableist and be disabled like we see that in our own communities constantly Mm -hmm. because of nature nurture a variety of factors so no I thought that was really interesting one thing I want to say though I don't know if anybody else got this but I just got so fucking annoyed at Helen for taking photos everywhere and just like not appreciating anyone's privacy like people live there that's people's homes like yeah what gives you the right to just barge on in like that you know like that really annoyed me Again, the audacity of this woman. (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing I want to pick up on that you sort of alluded to there, Lindsay, is this whole sort of, you know, good people will live there. Um, You know, just because someone lives in Cabrini Green doesn't make them a bad person. We see that with people like Anne-Marie, who's, you know, very much just, you know, she's a single mom, you know, and she's just trying to make the best. But, you know, we see it all the time, not just in America, here in the UK as well. You know, you the cycle of poverty is so difficult to escape you know like how many 
and it's not even it's not even necessarily poverty at this point like we all know like even for someone let's say for example who's trying to get on like the housing ladder but is in rented accommodation it's virtually impossible for them to do so because they're all their money's going on things like rent you know and you take that right down to the extreme it's going to be impossible for people to move because who wants to who wants to buy a house in, or a flat in Cabrini Green, you know? So those people who live there are stuck there. And you hear stories of people who are just stuck in this constantly, constant cycle of poverty, being surrounded by crime and drugs and whatever else. Um, but that doesn't make everyone that lives there a bad person, you know? Um, the whole story of Cabrini Green is actually like kind of sad and it's, it's actually really similar to... Um, like the new towns that were built in the UK after World War Two, like Cabrini Green was actually built after World War Two as well, and it was it's seen as like this haven. Like the flats were amazing when everybody moved into them, but then over the years, like the administrative duties just got put to the wayside, and then it became like an absolute hellhole because nobody was looking after the properties. Um, and then, like you say, like nobody wanted to live there. And as people were moving out, um, like kind of like less desirables were moving in. And it just made it like a harder and harder place to live until they decided to knock them down. And that was the only knock them down when a law was repealed that you had to rebuild social housing that got knocked down in America. So they knocked them down to make money off the land. Mm -hmm. So it's actually really, like, really sad for everybody who lived there. And with this being set in 1992 as well, like, obviously there was the LA riots in America and race relations were, like, really, really tense. So I think it's a really important film on that side of it as well because you're getting this little look into like what was going on for like inner city black people in America but also sorry I know I'm talking a lot um <laughs> this uh, other nothing, thing that, nothing new there oh shut up <laughs> um <laughs> this other thing um that I kind of noticed like after looking into Cabrini Green a little bit like in this film they try and make out that this area is like the worst area in America Chicago wasn't even like the city with the highest amount of crime in the US and Caprini Green wasn't even the area with the biggest amount of crime in Chicago either so it's like again this other way of like othering black people like perpetuating these like awful stereotypes of black people as well and demonizing people of the yeah. demonizing the working class as well isn't it yeah. you know you know and like because they portray that like bernadette is terrified as well like when mm. her and helen are going to cabrini green the first time she's like really nervous in the car she's got her pepper spray oh she's like, like all opened up like don't get me wrong there's absolutely nothing wrong with uh, a black woman or any woman um defending herself and and you know but it does but very she's much... not going to walk around the university like that, is she? And exactly. that's the problem. No. Exactly. Like, don't get me wrong. We've we all have we all grew up, and I'm sure when we all we all we did all grow up. Maybe not me, um, but like I'm sure uh, for you guys as well, there were areas and places that your parents would say, "Oh, don't go there," or like, "Be careful if you go through there," or "Don't like." You know, I'm I'm from Torrey. It was our own area. You know. <laughs> Like, just be well, careful I mean, if you leave the house. <laughs> I grew. I mean, I grew up 
in well variety of places but one of the places I grew up in was Abu Dhabi and Abu Dhabi's changed a considerable amount in the past 10 years but when I lived there the line between the one percent and the poverty line it was so stark there was no middle class no in between like you would see like these like penthouses for the expats like UK oil and gas workers and their families and then across the street there would be people in slums and I remember like being a kid as well my mum would be like don't go there stick you know all these kind of things and it was just this irrational fear I think you know my mum's trying to educate herself now as well but like there is this unnecessary fear of of poverty and you know certain areas I mean even I can say Aberdeen um but like the gentrification what you're speaking about as well like look at London as well how many places used to be seen as rough areas that have now been rebuilt and flats cost at least a million you know and and they've been pushing people out and then when you look on the posters for the new developments it's all white people but it was many people of color who lived there before like they're literally trying to buy them out like east london's a great example of that like it's so fucking expensive and that used to be well there still is a considerably diverse community there but they're getting pushed out because it's just impossible to live there it's not feasible that's how I do like how Lucy's like, I grew up in Abu Dhabi and I'm like, ha, taught it. <laughs> oh, but no, that is the worst thing you can call me. Please don't. Oh. I call you, I didn't call you anything. You called me a Tory. No, I said I grew up in Tory. I thought you said Tories and called me a Tory. Is no, it like, that's no, called, that's, please called, don't. that's called a Tory. Tory, For sorry. starters. <laughs> Fucking flag shoggers. <laughs> 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 so um anyways back to the film so like helen later in the film goes back to cabrini green alone like uh to talk to Anne marie she's obviously not there we get this scene where she obviously talks to this kid jake uh and jake sort of leads her to the, the public bathroom and we get this bathroom scene with uh someone who's claiming to be the candy man and she gets fucking knocked up the side of the head. Like, she takes a whack. I know, that special effect, like, of her eye being all swollen and stuff, like, amazing. Like, it looks so realistic. Like, when I see that, I was like, oof. Like, that looks fair. It looked like someone actually did just give her a whack in the eye, didn't it? Like, Absolutely. like you said, that special effect was great. Um. This is see. This is the thing about this movie because at this point in the film, we're quite we're quite a big chunk of the way through the film. I don't know. I think we're probably like a what a third of the way through the movie, something like that, and not much has really happened. Um, you know, other than we know that these people are sort of researching the Candyman and urban legends and Trevor pumping some fucking sixteen-year-old like the nonce that he is. Um, <laughs> what? You're right, Han. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I really like this scene because that fucking toilet is disgusting. Like, there's shit all over the walls. It's like me in perfection. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, that toilet is fucking brilliant. I don't know who's sitting down on those seats to, to go for a shit. But I certainly wouldn't. I'd rather shit. If you've got to go, you've got to go. No, I'd I'd rather shit myself, to be quite (laughs) frank. (laughs) 
to be quite honest, I would because just hover. No. Did you see him? Did you see them? There's definitely did you there's definitely some airborne diseases that's going up my bum hole. <laughs> Sometimes I think I overshare. <laughs> Would you go in that toilet? If I was Thank desperate. you. Thank you. No, your silence said everything I needed to know. <laughs> silence said everything I needed to know. We get this right. Okay, so we move on. <laughs> um, we get this sort of... Uh, oh, before actually we get the meeting, we get this scene where she's like making dinner for Trevor. And he's just being a total prick again again like she's making him this really nice meal and he's just like oh i'm tired and it's like get fucked have you looked at yourself like i know i can't talk but have you have you seen your receding hairline trevor like i could do so much better and he just it just screams patriarchal man expecting his wife to do everything when when he get you know he gets home i mean Helen works just as much as he does, but he comes home, he's, he barely even says thank you. He just sits down and is just like, oh, woe is me. Get the fuck, cry me a river. Oh, woe is me, my 16-year-old girlfriend. Wouldn't let me shagger, Ken. Like, what the fuck has he got to complain about? Honestly. Like, it just, he, he pisses me off so much. Anyways, moving on. Uh, we then get uh, the scene in the car park where we get the first sort of meeting of Helen and the Candyman. And there's a question that I do kind of want to put to you guys, because I think it is a valid question. Uh, To what extent do you think the Candyman actually exists? It is a good point because, well, obviously later on, there's a point where he should have been caught on camera. He's not... But then in the end, that our charge remains. Yes. No, that's like, like I, I'm not trying to sort of claim no. one side or the other. I just think it's a very interesting point because, you know, at this stage, even at this early stage at the car park, you know, he's walking, his footsteps aren't making any noise. You know, he's walking silently. He's not actually talking for most of it. Most of it, uh, you see, you hear his voice, but his lips aren't moving. So it's all inside, you know, her head. Like you say, there's that scene where she's in the hospital and he just sort of floats under the bed. You know, he appears in places. He try, like he, he transports to places very quickly. So I think it is an interesting question. And I know, obviously, you're saying there are, there are charred remains at the end. So are you left at the end just thinking you know what yes the candy man is real this wasn't just in helen's head oh yeah that's how i I'd like i know it's jumping ahead but i feel like with the ending i'm a, I'm a bit confused as to why there's sequels um, <laughs> because i feel like at the end like the candy man's dead and like helen's like the new candy man uh, have you uh if you do you know how horror movies work like yeah, <laughs> Just say a few Latin phrases and all is good in the world. You know? Part series. <laughs> you know how many times Freddy Krueger has been killed. True. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, I, I, Lucy, what do you? How do you feel about like the whole thing? Do you think? Because I'm of the opinion that maybe some of it is in Helen's head, but I do think there. Obviously, like you say, there is a charred corpse at the end. So I do think there is some sort of external factor that is 
sort of triggering her or is making or is influencing her but I'm not certain that everything that happens is the Candyman. Yeah, I hope we get a little bit of clarity on this in the sequel. Um, I think the Candyman is real, but see, it's difficult because there are the charred remains, but I think he does maybe possess this immortal kind of fantasy. I don't know what you want to call it, but you know, Clive Barker's known for writing like, writing like horror sci-fi, horror fantasy things where it's not, not, all, all seems what, what it really is. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but you know what I mean? Like fa- kind of fantasy, but he, uh, all that kind of magic, all that kind of stuff. So I do think he's real, but he he's definitely not an it's average of, person. It's one of those things, isn't it? Like, and I think that plays very well into the story because the whole point is that he is this urban legend. And if enough people think something is real and think something exists, doesn't it kind of just then exist? It's, yeah, very phil- it's probably the most philosophical question I will ever ask on this podcast. Um, but it is definitely something that is worth thinking about. It's very, I think it's very thought-provoking in that sort of sense. Um, the current sequels, uh, Farewell to the Flesh and the, whatever the third one's called that I can't remember, um, I think explain virtually nothing. <laughs> and like the third one in particular is not a good film. Like porn acting that's what the third one is it's apart from tony todd obviously um <laughs> although he could porn act for me anytime he wants um so thirsty this evening I know. Goodness. listen listen i can't help it he just floats my boat okay um right let's talk about some of these uh this these death scenes so obviously after she has this initial interaction she wakes up in Anne-Marie's house, covered in blood, opens the door and the, the, the dog, trigger warning for people, the dog has been decapitated. Now, I know a lot of people are very, very opposed to animals dying. Obviously, the dog didn't really die. It's a fake dog. But people are very, very opposed to just animals being killed in, in horror movies. Uh, how, do you, how do you guys feel about it? Because, like, I... I'm in a bit of two minds about it, to be honest with you. I, on the one hand, I can see why it upsets people. Um, and, then, you know, it's definitely something that has been exploited as something for a like cheap shock value, I think, in certain movies. But I think if there's like a logical reason for it in the movie, like Lucy, remember when we did 30 Days a Night? Yeah. There was a logical reason for those vampires to kill those dogs because that was how people got around that was their sort that could have been like a method of escape so if there's a logical reason for it then it doesn't really bother me what bothers me is when they just sort of use it for shock value i kind of get that as well where you're coming from i mean we all have fur babies we all love animals very much and i hate to see animals you know dying dying in movies even even though it's not real animals um but i think yeah if you're gonna have it don't have it as a cheap a cheap shot for shock value have it mean something it's kind of like you know when we were speaking about 1br as well and there's the the, the cat the cat looks like pebbles pebbles is looking at me right now <laughs> but that that did kind of add to the plot there was a reason for that so like yeah i, I get what you mean but there's there's plenty of things that we see in horror that sometimes are just done for the sake of it so yeah it shouldn't be done just for the sake of it but i think so how do you I, think then they did it here 
Well, obviously, we don't see it happening, but we do see the aftermath. We see the dog's head. But in my mind, that doesn't really do anything to serve the plot. Yeah, I feel like, because this is a big jump for, like, before this bit, the movie hasn't been particularly gory. I think they wanted to do this to show, like, to have, like, a real kind of twist of, like, we're jumping up the momentum now and things are really starting to get heated and it's it's getting more into that slasher territory. They didn't have to have the decapitated dog to to invoke that. I mean, the the scene with the crib, like, I haven't seen this movie in years and I still, my jaw dropped, like, you didn't need to, you know, you could have left it at that. Like, they didn't have to have it. Lindsay, what do you think? Um, like, I do not, <clears throat> I do know what Lucy means. Like, this is a slasher and there's, like, not really a lot of depth in it. So I guess, like, it is trying to get that shock factor, like, goriness that you would expect from a slasher. I mean, I didn't like seeing a decapitated dog, but if you're thinking about it logically from the story point of view, I feel like Candyman is trying to get Helen in a position where all she has is him. Uh, Because obviously he's like a little bit in love with her. He thinks that she is that girl that he got killed for all those years ago. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I do do think there's a point like a point to it not that I wanted the dog to die but Mm -hmm. it's like it's very shocking and I think it just adds to like Anne-Marie's like terror in the situation like obviously we don't know how she's come to find out how the baby's gone missing but you know you walk into your flat and there's there's blood everywhere and the baby's gone and it's just it adds to that like sense of like fear and anger that she has in that situation as well i think um just quickly queer jay in the chat says i think beloved animals are killed since they won't kill children and i think that does make sense because there are very few movies out there when you think about it that do portray actual children being killed i'm thinking like there's only a few that i can think of off the top of my head um dr sleep was one of them mm-hmm. uh pet cemetery did pet cemetery do that i think it did um maximum overdrive terrible movie um there's not a lot that does it so i do think that that's a good point um i think as well because Anne marie doesn't there is no horrible horrible turn of phrase there's no baby corpse you know there's no body of the child here um i think we also she also like we do need to see that there is something that could be explained away you know that all of that blood um is not had to come from something ha- yeah sorry i was i got i was losing my words there yeah it had to come from somewhere and i think that also does give it an out so to speak if that makes sense uh the cult is a license so what you're saying is stephen king kills children <laughs> you, you you said it no me uh <laughs> Uh, and then Queer J comes back in. You don't hit their kid, you hit their dog because they're defenseless. I, I don't understand. <laughs> Can we say that Anne Marie's acting in this is really good as well? She portrays like just that distress so well, doesn't she? Yeah, it's like See? that. 
Not so. See, the first time I watched this when I was like hating Helen as well, and obviously like Anne Marie's going crazy, and Helen picks up the meat cleaver and fucking whacks her in the arm with I it. I know like, this woman, her dog and her baby, like this. Like what the fuck? This woman has potentially killed your child, and then she has the audacity yes. to meat cleaver yeah. you in the fucking arm. I know. And she's like on top of her, like, shut up. It's like, you fucking shut up, you dumb blonde bitch. Like, oh my god. So selfish. I hate her so much. So she gets arrested. <laughs> and uh Yeah, she gets arrested and she ends up in in prison. We get this scene where she's like greeting when you know she's getting like she's been forced to sort of strip. Um, can I just say like uh, is this police procedure for them to just dump evidence on the floor and drag it across the floor? Because every part of the thing, like clothes that comes off her, the woman is just like, put it on the floor, slide it over to me. And it's just yeah, like. Yeah, you would think it would be like, drop it into the evidence bag rather than drop it onto the dirty floor. Yeah, like surely that's like tampering with it. Well, not tampering, but you know what I mean? Like surely that's going to. Contaminating. God, you guys are just correcting all of my sentences tonight, right? <laughs> Um, and she calls, she uses her phone call to call Trevor. And of course, Trevor's no in because Trevor's out, someone else because Trevor's out getting, getting some underage pinanis. <laughs> Trevor's out getting his hole. Trevor watched Carrie and saw all that 16 year old bush and was like, I'm wanting a piece of that. <laughs> bush bonanza. It was, uh, yeah, most certainly. I would imagine it probably was. Uh, and then he just like bareface lies to her as well when he eventually comes to collect her. He's just like, I was just asleep. It's like, no, you're fucking warning. You were balls deep in a child. Yeah. <laughs> Do you really think she's that stupid? Like, oh. It was three in the morning. The phone was literally like two feet right away next from to the bed. It was literally like two feet away from where his head would be, you know? So, like, hmm. Helen might be many things, but she's no stupid. Well, she kind of is, but she's <laughs> she's no stupid. Like, she knows, she knows. But anyway, so they, they come out and um, start catching up on my notes. Would she get released? That's the bit that I find, like, the most confusing. Like, a baby's missing, and it's like, she gets released, and she doesn't even get named either. In the, in the press. Oh. Like, I thought that was very strange as well, but they didn't move the plot along, so. I mean, I guess, yeah, for plot purposes, they had to move on, but that was something that I was like, hmm, that doesn't quite sit right with me. Uh, but anyway, so that they, uh, and then, and then, right? So she, she's taken a bath, which is, I guess, a perfectly reasonable thing for her to do. She wants to wash the, <laughs> Just the mess that that day has been. Trevor then's like, "Oh, I'm going out. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm going out. Like, I'll see you later. Like, I'm going to leave you. You're clearly heavily traumatized from what's just gone on. But I'm away out. <laughs> all he cares about is himself. That's oh, what yeah. it is. They all do. They say they all do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, like, Helen's then, like, she's looking at the, the pictures that she took. 
She then sees that in the background of one of the pictures, uh, the Candyman was there watching her in the background. And uh, he just like bursts through the bathroom cabinet. Like he's just like, he fists the shit out of that cabinet. Like, I don't know about you, but I fucking shot myself at this point for the first time when I watched this movie. There are so many jump scares in this film, which I kind of loved because I like we haven't watched a jump scary film for the podcast in ages. I feel like, um, and it's like there was one like near the start where she's like, "I need to take a picture of the door." I'm like, "Someone's gonna come out the door." Still shot it. Still shot it. <laughs> <laughs> I think what was good about the scares in this one, though, because it goes with, excuse me, you know, what we were talking about with the score earlier, being kind of whimsical, it meant it was kind of low-key as well, which I thought worked really well when they did want to give us a jump scare. And I don't think they overused the jump scares either, mm-hmm. um, which is, uh, you know, something that is, you know, often leveled at like slasher films or supernatural i know you particularly see your your love for supernatural movies love them love them but uh you know jump scares are a part of that aren't they because they 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 end up being just a bit boring and predictable and i thought they they they, they utilize them quite well here but obviously here is where we get the death and this is really like our first proper death as well and it's and it's because and it's bernadette this death is fucking brutal and you don't even get to see any of it you just see the aftermath but it's brutal as fuck because whilst it's going on all you can hear is the Candyman grunting and groaning and what's so funny about that are you all right (laughs) (laughs) but you know what i mean like you know he's he's sheer clearly you know putting a lot of like force it's very visceral you know mm. and it's very gritty and i think this death is pretty brutal well how many times have we said that less is more you don't have to see something to know how savage it is like look at the the birds with that last kill scene like i don't think it was quite dark and you don't see everything but the sounds of all the birds and the, the scratching and everything it's absolutely savage there's plenty of movies we can you know you don't have to see it you you can let your your mind um speak for itself you know so i think it's done really well the blood curdling screams it's um it's really effective and then the aftermath as well her body's just like a mess and she is like no color left in her face like she is pale it's it's quite a it's a really horrific scene i think what do you think Lindsay? like i know you were laughing at me talking about tony todd grunting and groaning but what did you think of this death like when you see the aftermath, like it is completely gruesome. Um, but it's, it's one of the ones, like if you actually pause it and look at her corpse, it's like I I, I do wonder if it's one of not one of the best like special effects. Like she goes like a weird colour and like all the, the pictures when the projects in her inner and you're just like, why? Like I don't know, like I wonder if that was just kind of more for shock value than actual, like maybe making sense. Mm-hmm. Like I do know what you mean, like the off-screen part of it is done really well, but then when you actually see her, I'm just a bit like, mm, I'm not okay. too sure about that. 
Okay. I think that's quite interesting because we go very different ways with it. I think I, I really, really like the the sort of image that we get. Um, I think it's I think it's done really quite well, but it's it's interesting that we we've came down on two completely different sides of that one. Um, okay, next question: Would they res just restrain her and leave her in the same house? Like they would just take her away, right? No, like why? <laughs> why are they gathering evidence with her in the house? They would have like they would have put her in the back of a van. And can I just say? How pathetic is the attempt of that policewoman to keep her on the bed? Oh, no. She's just like, oh no. She's like, I don't get paid enough for this. <laughs> this woman has been sedated and is handcuffed and still manages to evade her. That's it. Like, we're brought into the scene with her being sedated and she gets up and runs around the flat. What? There's been a wee mix up there, I think. Maybe just a little bit. Just a wee bit. Um, so she gets taken to the mental hospital. This is where we talk about that scene where she, you know, um, has this interaction with the candy man and he sort of floats down above her and, and vanishes. Now, I don't know about you, right? Because when this is happening, the like orderlies are rushing in to, to sedate her again. And she's like, there's someone under the bed. And I don't care who's fucking telling me. If someone says to me, there's someone under the bed, I'm fucking looking under the bed. <laughs> But she's just in a mental hospital. They probably hear this shit all the time. They're just like, aye, aye, fucking shut no, up. No, no, I don't <laughs> care. Like, I'm looking under the bed. I don't care if they've put some, like, fucking saw trap under there or <laughs> whatever. Someone says there is a man, there is a big man, because Tony Todd's, like, six foot five. There's a big man with a hook and some bees under the bed. You better fucking believe it that I am checking that shit out. Next oh. time we all go on like a trip or something and we're all in like a shared accommodation of that, I, I know I'm pulling a prank on you now. I'm just thinking like bed. never come to my house because Blossom's always under my bed like scratching. So I just hear like weird scratching noises under my bed all the time. And it's, it's just No, that's like fine. That's fine. Because my cat does that. Because my cat does as my cat does that as well. But it's when Someone is saying there is a man under the bed. He is under the bed, and they're just like, "Nah, fuck this bitch." Like, oh, are no. you one of those people? Is that a threat or a <laughs> are you one of those people that can't have their foot like dangling off the bed or out of the covers because you're worried something's going to grab you? I'm nine times out of ten. I'm worried that my cat's going to bite the shit out of my feet if they're hanging anywhere. To be honest with you, she's a toe biter, so. Um, no, like that doesn't bother me and things like that. I just don't, I just, I would just look like I'm not sitting here saying I'm scared of things being under the bed. But if someone says to me, there's a man under the bed, I'm going to look. I can't believe that I'm not being backed up on this one, quite frankly. <laughs> don't understand what I he's think, want. I was going to say, I think you're being a bit dramatic, but then when are you not? Well, I mean, that's true. Listen, <laughs> if I walked into your house right now and was like, oh, Lindsay possible murderer under your bed <laughs> you're fucking you... shut up and behave yourself <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what you fucking want from me in this moment you need to get that copyrighted and all it's stealing all your lights <laughs> right being the funny one she w <laughs> oh you know that's true <laughs> 
Very dare you. Uh, so she wakes up a month later, by the way. I like, know. What drugs is she on? Can I have some? I know. Like, fuck me, sideways. Can I just take some and wake up when the fucking pandemic is over, please? Um, so she wakes up a month later to go to this meeting with Dr. Burke. Uh, Dr. Burke doesn't really last very long, does he? This is like the well, I was like, oh, this is my favorite kill in the film. And then when I watched it again, it's it's the like only on-screen kill, really. But it's amazing. But, it's satiated me enough. It's all I needed. So yes, because of course he just like he did to that bathroom cabinet, he thrusts that arm through the the, the body it of Dr. Splits him from arsehole to ear hole. Like uh, from no groin to gullet, I believe is the oh, term he oh, used. Sorry, sorry, hard. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on here today? Is this what is this the price of doing live episodes? Probably. <laughs> Guys, this is our first number. This is our last time we're going to be live. No, it's not. Um, can I just say though, and it's probably the one thing of this film I'm like, ah, that was shite. Is when Tony Todd get, clearly gets like pulled back out the window. You can see, you can see the, the cables. cables. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, oh. It looked like it would be really fun though to be pulled through the window. <laughs> like it looked like it was having a great time. Lindsay's like, I want to fucking go. <laughs> Looks like something from Go Ape, where you go up. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that wasn't so good though. And then, right, and then Helen just escapes. Stephen was like, f- like fondling this woman for ages to get dress off. I was like, why are you molesting her? Oh my god! Like, it's not that hard to get a dress off, surely to God. She's walking through this hospital, blood on her face, and people are just walking past her. Yeah, like people walk past her, and it's just like, oh, she's this like, like famous murderer who's been on the news. I don't know if you know about her. Like, she wouldn't be able to walk around and nobody notice her. Well, she's hardly been on the news, has she? They don't even fucking name her. She's been there like, a month, so surely the staff there know who she is. Yeah. I think this movie just shows... Well, in, in this movie, in this universe of Candyman, the local authorities and hospital staff, they're, they're all a bit useless, aren't they? Bless them. Just... <laughs> it's a little bit. Uh, Sophie in the chat says that you two need to design a theme park. <laughs> yes. I want to be fucking going. You're not getting my money. <laughs> <laughs> so she Helen escapes. She bars this woman's head as well off the floor, by the way. Like, what did this woman ever do to her? Perfect sedator for a month. Give her a month of peace. I know. I totally. Um, and she she goes straight back to her flat. And Trevor, in the space of four weeks, I'm assuming even less, probably about four minutes knowing him, has moved Stacey in. She's so pathetic. She's just like, you know what? Oh, it's when she sees her and she's just like, oh, oh. I'm I'm sorry, right? But I was pushing myself laughing at this when she's trying to cry. It looks like she's laughing. She's having a wee giggle to herself. (laughs) She probably is. She probably is laughing. It's it's pathetic acting from her. It's not the best acting from Xander Berkeley either when he walks in and is just like, oh. It's you. Aren't you meant to be in the hospital? Uh, well, no, I'm clearly here, you dick. And can I just say, 
it is a terrible shade of pink that they're painting. Oh, absolutely hanging. Like, <laughs> disgusting. Vile. Disgusting. Disgusting. <laughs> My personal Twitch is going mad right now. It's like, ah. um, <laughs> Yeah, and I, but I do like this scene because I think that Helen does portray just being slightly unhinged quite nicely. Like, she's clearly someone who's quite disturbed at this point. Yeah, like she's at the end of her tether because like she knows that she's not done anything wrong. She's been flung in all these situations and now there's like one person who she's like, oh, I can still re- I can still rely on Trevor is totally betrayed her with the person that she knew who it was as well, which I feel like makes it worse. She's like, she knew there was something going on and that's what makes it worse. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Lucy, what do you think of this whole scene? <laughs> just so fucking cringe honestly just the and the acting in this in general is really good but the acting in that scene was just abysmal and there's just one line that like the more we're talking about this the more I realize there's issues I have with this movie (laughs) but um there's there's this line that Helen says where she's like um you're all I have left or something or it's like you were all I had Trevor and I'm like oh come on now like don't write her is this woman that only has her husband there for her and she doesn't have anything else like we know we we're saying we're neither well Ian's a fan of Helen Lindsay's the biggest fan of Helen but like she's the universe you know she's got other people around her I'm like do you really have to say that I just don't like this stereotype of like she's lost I know she's at the end of her tether right but I don't know what do you guys think of that because when I heard that I just rolled my eyes I was like oh, really I mean like when I say that I, I, I like how she plays, I like I, I like her performance in terms of that she plays that I'm gonna be I'm slightly dangerous. You know, she's obviously someone who they think is slightly dangerous, and I think she plays that quite well. I agree with you though on like the rhetoric of you know the things that she says and the stereotypes that they're playing around, you know, the roles of women in the early 90s. So I do agree with you on that. Okay. Uh I thought Lindsay was going to come in and say something there, but she, she showed me right up. Uh, <laughs> uh, so she then goes back to, oh, at this point as well, when she's like, she leaves the flat, there's the voiceover from the Candyman and it just says, they will all abandon you. And that just speaks to what we were talking about earlier, that his whole plan is to isolate her from everyone around her, either by killing them or by completely alienate, having them alienated from her or vice versa. And, you know, that shows you how effectively her plan is, though, because at this point, you know, she's lost her best friend. You know, she's lost her husband. She uh, is a fugitive. She knows, and, you know, we never find out about any other sort of extended family or friends or things like that so as far as we're concerned at this point in the movie she is now completely alone um so that that just goes to show how effective the candy man is in his sort of mission she goes back to cabrini green and just finds the candy man having a cap <laughs> Like, like, this was another thing. It's just like I've never, I've never seen a ghost of a, a nap before. <laughs> like, it was bizarre, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like you're, you're just a little like you pot, you pot, you see him, and then you're just like, huh? 
like, I'm just like, I don't really know what to do with that. All like, these special powers and that he's got as well. And she just walks right up to him and fucking stabs him. I mean, it does nothing. Yeah. But still, but I feel like he shouldn't walk up before me. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's very bizarre. It's very bizarre. Um, but this is where we get, like, the real sort of... This is where we get the reveal of, like, his chest piece with the... Uh, with the bees, like the big reveal. Obviously, we've had loads of scenes with bees beforehand, but this is where he reveals the sort of ribs that are just like absolutely covered in bees. He's got bees hanging out of his mouth. They're they're snogging with bees in their mouths. Um, what do you guys make of that? Have you, either you got, are you both okay with like bees and wasps and things? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm a little bit allergic to wasps, but like I'm not bothered by them. Mm-hmm. Is he? don't like wasps. I actually, it's only recently that I've been okay with bees. I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie as a kid called My Girl. Such a sad movie. Oh, it, it's it's tragic, but there, there's a scene in that, spoiler, a kid dies from bee stings and it always creeped me out. Um, mm. But in this, it's not like the buzzing sound effects are so loud that it creeps me out. Um, I thought it was done well. I feel like the... Spe- it is the 90s. I just feel like the special effects at the start with the, the punch to the face with Helen was so good. I was a little bit, I don't know if disappointed, but looking at it again, I'm kind of like, oh, that could have maybe been done a little bit better with the ribs and stuff. I don't know. I didn't mind that, to be honest with you. Like, it was all practical effects. They pretty, There was very, very little optical effects that they actually used in this one. I, you know, a couple of the scenes with, you know, the bees flying to the words like the camera and things but everything was practical effects i quite liked that actually to be honest with you it's, it's weird because like that's a few things now that like me and you have disagreed on me and Lindsay have disagreed on i actually really liked the effects on the ribs and- yeah i liked it as well like i thought it was really well done and um i th- like i thought like the bees and stuff coming out of the mouth was really cool too and then like reading up on how they done that as well it just i thought it made it like even more interesting yeah, definitely. Uh, Wolfie says that wasps can fuck right off. <laughs> Fair enough. I think I would agree with that. Wasps are mean little things. Um, so we then, like, we can get, like, the sort of how this film is going to end. He says to Helen, sacrifice yourself and the baby gets to live or surrender yourself to me and the baby gets to live. Um, you know, he's written on the wall. It was always you, Helen. Do we believe that she is like the woman that he fell in love with reincarnated? I don't think he is. She is rather sorry, but I think he's projecting that onto her. Lucy? Yeah, I'm in agreement. I don't think I don't think she is, but I I yeah, I think he's just so desperate to find her again but he he's just putting he's just making himself believe that i, I don't know if that's sweet or not <laughs> I mean, one of the things about this film that a lot of people bring up is like that's a bit different for a horror film is that it's really sad and what i get from it is that it's actually really sad in a way that he's pretty he's so lonely and so desperate to just find some way to get back to his love that he projects this onto Helen and it actually gives Helen like a really like horrible time for this last remaining part of her life. Um, 
I guess it's, it's really sad in like two parts because like obviously Helen has to suffer, but then he's suffered for so long and all just like racism. Like that was all like there was no other reason other than the fact that he was black that well of course as well because because as well like we were told you know he was very thick he was from a wealthy family Mm. he was well educated this is why Mm. i think it's important that that factor was important because there is there was no other reason for him to have suffered the fate he did other than being black Mm. you know he was an artist you know he was all of these really really desirable qualities that you would think you know you know and then obviously he suffered his fate so that's why I was saying like I think it was really important that they portrayed him in that way and not just as someone from the ghetto sort of thing you know um let's talk about this a bonfire scene because I thought we were going to see a baby burning to death Oh, I would oh, see the first time I watched this, and you, obviously you've seen Jake being like, Candyman, like she sees a hook and then gets on everybody else to like burn it down. I'm like, oh no, like I thought a baby was going to die. Absolutely convinced. But obviously, ultimately, she gets the better of the Candyman here. She stabs him with a wooden block or whatever, but she gets burnt to fuck. Like the, these, I thought, were really good effects. You know, she loses, like, all of her hair gets burnt off, her, her scalp is burnt to, like, a crisp. Like, what did you guys think of Helen's fate? It was really good. It was <laughs> savage. <laughs> I know, I did like the effect. Really I, I do like really good that she you. died. <laughs> <laughs> Not that she died, but I just, the, the scene was done really well, I think. Yeah, Lindsay? Yeah, I agree, like... There was like lots of tension built up, like because it, it really is like down to the wire if she's if her and the baby are gonna get out. And there is a split second where you think that maybe she'll live, but obviously she doesn't. I didn't I didn't love the special effect of her burnt scalp. Um I just like I don't know, there's something about her face being completely fine, but her head being all burned. <laughs> yeah, okay, I, I like, can like, see that. Like, didn't seem very realistic to me. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I can definitely see that. Um, but no, you're, I think, what do, obviously after this, we get Helen's funeral. And, um, you know, fucking Trevor has the audacity to take Stacey to the funeral, by the way. Like, what the why do men? <laughs> I know. Why would she even want to go anyway? I as well. Um, and the dickhead friend is also there. But then we get all the residents of Cabrini Green. And I don't know, but I, I got I'm not, not gonna lie, I got a wee bit emotional at this when they're all just like walking over the hill. Yeah, like as much as like I I didn't really like vibe with Helen at all in this film. Like I did really like that because at the end of the day, like she died saving that child. Like it was a totally like selfless thing to do. Um, so I thought that was like a nice like tribute to her and them like appreciating what she's done for like a saving the baby and I guess like getting rid of the Candyman as well. But then they give her the tools to become the new Candyman. Yeah. It's like, thank you for getting rid of our nightmares. Now go and become our new nightmares. 
so obviously we have another scene that we'll talk about at the end but what how did you guys feel just overall as this being the conclusion to the story lucy what did you think i did like it i think the pacing in this is pretty good because it's only an hour and a half i think like you said like the first like maybe i don't know maybe 40 minutes the first third of the movie there's not much that happens it really picks up a notch after that like um you know, after we get that first scene with with the dog and then Anthony going missing. So I feel like if it had been any longer, it might have dragged a little bit, but I feel like it, it hits it on the money at like the hour and a half, hour and a 40, whatever it is. But I think, um, no, I like the ending. It was nice to have that heartfelt moment as well, because like we've been saying throughout this, it is a sad movie. It's a sad, it's a sad story. So to have that kind of awe moment at the end, you know, it's, well, not yet. There is another scene after, but I thought that was nice. It was a kind of breath of fresh air. I don't know. I think for me, it's just that I think at the end of the day, this is a sla- this, this is obviously a slasher movie. It's a romance movie. This is a love story. Mm-hmm. And how many slasher movies are like that? For none that I can think of off the top of my head. There's probably a few, um, but it just makes it just makes this movie stand out for me so much and don't get me wrong like i don't know if you guys are aware but i love halloween and nightmare on elm street oh really yeah i don't know never said that before uh i love all those other slasher movies but this movie for me is completely unique when you're comparing them to all of those classics like black texas chainsaw massacre and all of those sorts of things and not only that the fact that it is in such an urban setting as well like you know Whereas a lot of those movies are about sort of horror in suburbia, aren't they? Um, and it's more about the sort of middle, those sort of middle classes that we were talking about earlier. So I do think that the, the, there are really important messages in this movie. Yes, looking at it now through a 2021 lens, there are definitely some issues. But I, I don't think there's anything in this movie that's so heinous that it's like, oh, no, we can't talk about this. We can't watch. You know what I'm sort of saying? Before we sort of wrap up this chat, I'm sure this is probably everyone's favourite scene of the entire fucking film because this is the big comeuppance scene. Fucking Trevor gets it <laughs> right at the death, right at the end. And I don't know about you, but I was so delighted. Number one, he's already, like, He's clearly got buyer's remorse over pumping Stacy because he's sitting there in the bathroom greeting about Helen. It's like, oh, well, you shouldn't have pumped the child. Um, and then he decides to play like Candyman, but with, with Helen's name. It's like, you're just fucking asking for trouble here, Trevor. And then gets absolutely destroyed. What do we think of this? Like, just super satisfying. <laughs> like, I was just glad that, like, Helen could get her revenge in some way, shape, or form against him because, I mean, like, what he did was, like, actually really disgusting, especially, like, I know she was, like, suspension of crimes and stuff, but she was in the hospital and he was just like, oh, I'll move, I'll move my nice new wee girlfriend in. One oh. month as well. Like, see if she'd been in there, if she had been in there for like a year, even. Yeah. Like, and you was like, right, it's been like 10 months, right? I need to move on. Like, she's no getting out, blah, blah, blah. Then you could kind of buy that. But 
we're, we're also not saying that it's only been four weeks. Like he waited the four weeks. He probably waited about a day. Yeah, the amount of decorating that gone on in that flat. Like, exactly. The way he's like crying over her before, like before she makes her appearance as well. It's just oh, it's juicy and beautiful. <laughs> and I loved it. <laughs> Can I just say as well, Stacey has got to have the most see-through top in this scene. Oh known to man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look at the, look at the smile on Lucy's face. Oh no, it's not like, like that. No. Oh. no, no. <laughs> Just like, no, oh, I did not mean it like that. Oh, look at her. Oh, bless. Um, Lucy, what did you think of this ending? How did it make you feel? Did it make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside? Oh, it did. I had a massive smile on my face. And it was just so satisfying. <laughs> nope. Fuck off, right? <laughs> anyway, it was so satisfying as well, seeing Trevor just, Trevor just being, like, so pathetic and crying. Mm-hmm. And like you say, having that buyer's remorse and you're like... Uh, see that's what you get karma's a bitch um <laughs> but like the the scene itself again we don't really see the kill we see the aftermath but before that when Helen shows up and there's like the flashing lights and everything like that I thought that was really effective I really liked that as a scene and um yeah it was just one of those kind of like you go girl moments like for her to get her revenge it was a nice way to end that it. is very much a good for her ending wasn't it yeah <laughs> Okay, so that's it. That's Candyman. Um, anything else? Aspects, themes, scenes, people, whatever. Anything else in this film that you guys want to talk about before we move on? Um, so, <clears throat> sorry. Um, there was a couple of things that I I picked up on myself, um, but I'd seen well that other people <laughs> I had noticed. Shut your fucking mind. <laughs> <laughs> How could they resist? <laughs> Um, like there's a lot of like racial stereotypes in this film so one being like the white savior one and I think that was like another reason why I kind of wish like Helen and Bernadette had been swapped because I hate this idea of like this white person saving saving all the black people that's like yeah because that's that's how it is and it's definitely not the other way around historically um <laughs> and this stereotype as well of black men only being attracted to white women because like throughout the film Candyman pursues white women and that is like a point of contention in the community anyway so those were like a couple of things that I was like "Mm," like that's not aged so well but like you say as much as there is little bitties that aren't great you know, there's definitely films out there that are a lot, lot worse. Um, this one is very inoffensive in comparison. But yeah, they were just like a couple of stereotypes that I'd picked up on and I was just like, mm, don't really like that. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is still important to look at these things, remembering that it was 1992 yeah. it came out. You know, if this was to come out in this form today, then mm. we'd probably be having a very different conversation about it, wouldn't we? Especially like... I know, I know uh, Bernard Rose like, wanted to switch it from the UK because that's where the book is set to this specific region like on purpose but I still think there's only so much when you can that you can do when you're a white guy talking about these kind of things. Yeah and we've talked about this before in previous movies you know we talked about it I think with Attack the Block as well didn't mm-hmm. we? You know that was quite a and like you know th- obviously very very different movies but 
both taking place in, you know, the projects in Candyman and the council estates here, you know, like in big skyscrapers and things like that. So there are similarities between those two movies that can be drawn. There are parallels there. Uh, Lucy, anything else that you want to bring up? Just in agreement with with Lindsay, there is definitely some stereotypes there. Um, besides Tony Todd, Candyman, a lot of the black characters in this movie don't really get much of a backstory or like just not enough screen time. Like, look how much screen time Trevor gets in comparison to Bernadette. Bernadette isn't really a fully fleshed out character, and Anne Marie really isn't either. Um, you know, so I just would have liked to see more of them um but yeah i am in agreement as well at the same time this was in 1992 and there is movies that we've talked about even recently like frank and weenie <laughs> like that was only a couple of years ago and that had some very problematic racial stereotyping so there is a lot worse out there but it is important to highlight it yeah no absolutely um it's one of the things as well that makes me quite excited about the sequel that we're getting this year because it does center around the story of sort of like the baby uh, and you know I'm Marie and I'm hoping that we do get that sort of more fleshed out characters that bit more backstory to those people as well um, and of course now you know you've got in Naya da Costa a woman of color as well which I think is is important that that, that we have someone from that point of view actually telling this story because as you've said historically how many times have you had a cis straight white man telling stories about black people and what it's like for gay people and and all these sorts of things and you know we we we, we, we need that to kind of stop <laughs> um, uh, one sorry. thing i just remembered and i, I might be um champing on your trivia a wee bit but um when i was watching like some kill counts and stuff like that for the film they pointed out that in the scene where like helen and Candyman like come together towards the end and then they're kind of they look like they start dancing there was a whole like dance scene between them that makes it sound really corny <laughs> the one I just picture them just like bursting like, into like the thriller dancing. dance <laughs> I was but thinking was of waltz well that's what they were doing <laughs> Oh. But yeah, there was this whole like two minute like dancing between them cut out because this whole like interracial like love story angle made some people like really uncomfortable. And I was just like, what the fuck? It was 1992. And I like I I feel like we were kind of robbed of something because there is or maybe it's better because it's more subtle, but there is this like like romance kind of woven through the film. And I don't know, like maybe it would have been nice to have that a bit more concrete. Maybe it works without it. But when I heard that, I was like, I, I just thought I was so stupid. Um, <laughs> it is stupid though. It's uh, it, it, it was part of my trivia, but um, they actually did take ballroom dancing classes together uh, for that, um, so that the sort of the the chemistry between them would see appear more romantic mm. as well so that is definitely something that was a conscious thought on behalf of the the director as well so yeah it's a good thing to bring up okay uh anything else before we move on no excellent right let's move on to our next segment now we're going to talk about some trivia
we'll start off as we normally do with the finances on this movie. So this movie had a budget of $6 million uh, and grossed at the box office in its initial run $25.7 million. So a good success made for over four times its budget. Um, obviously not like the biggest success in the world. I don't think this movie ever would have been at the time just because of the themes it was dealing with as well. You know, I think that might put up quite a lot of gammon off <laughs> so uh yeah but still still you know a big success obviously we've got two sequels uh to this and now we're getting a, a third sort of spiritual sequel that's going to be released later this year that we talked about um so all the scenes with the bees um and tony todd are completely real you know, there's no special effects used at any point. That is actual real bees on Tony Todd, um, including the scene where they were in his mouth. They were actually in his mouth. Um, he wore a shield in his mouth to prevent them from sort of flying down his throat. Um, and he got paid $1,000 every single time he got stung during this movie. And so made an extra $23,000 on top of his fee. And I just feel like you go, Tony. <laughs> yeah, quite right. Um, so yeah, good for him. Uh, the scene where his hook burst through the, the, the bathroom cabinet that I was talking about earlier, Virginia Madsen didn't know that was going to happen. So much like, you know, we've talked about like the chestburster scene in Alien where, you know, they didn't know that was going to happen. Helen, Helen, Virginia Madsen didn't know. So her like screams in that, uh, that, that moment are, uh, completely real. And she actually just ran off set. Like she was just like, fuck this shit and just ran <laughs> off set. <laughs> I watched a like it was a behind the scenes and it was an interview with her like talking about it and she was just like but like Bernard the director was like all for it but Tony Tony Todd really didn't want to do it because he didn't want to scare her for real and he apologized profusely afterwards. I Can like, I just oh, he's say such a sweet man. before we go any further, Tony Todd is the nicest man alive as well. Yeah, like, like watching the- all the interviews that I did like for research for this, like he seems like the sweetest guy. And that's why I'm like, I don't fancy Candyman, I fancy Tony Todd because he's he's so cute. He's also it. like he's he's super good with fans. He follows us on Twitter. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm just like, woohoo! Like slide into my DMs, Tony. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but Tony Todd is like the nicest guy, like super, super nice, super, super nice man. Um, love him. In the original script, this would have made for a very different film, I think. You needed to say Candyman 13 times to summon him. Jeez, I'm tired even thinking about that. Oh my God, I couldn't be bothered. Just do it like nine times and lose count, eh? I know. Um, this is the only slasher movie that I am aware of. This might this might have changed in the last couple of years. I don't think it has. The only slasher movie that's got a black serial killer. Yeah, I think that's still right. There's yeah. no other one that I could think of anyway. Um, I've already stated they were only they were only allowed to film at Carini Green if they cast some of the residents and some of the gang members of extras. Bernard Rose stated that. He felt being scared of the area was an irrational fear, but people were actually afraid even just to drive past it, um, which was believed to be racially and sort of classes class motivated. So, yeah, I think there was maybe some issues as well in terms of amongst maybe some of the crew as well, who maybe had some stereotypes of their own manifesting in their own head. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, that's definitely very problematic. You've already mentioned the original story actually took place in Liverpool, 
Um, I think it would have been very different if it was just a bunch of scousers. Yeah. <laughs> Just a bit. I was going to try and do one there, but I'm no, but you can just imagine in a Scouse accent, I'm the candy man, bitch. <laughs> oh no, it's you know, not Mad- the same. It, would, it just wouldn't have the same effect. Um, Virginia Madsen, allergic to bees. Like, yeah. taking her fucking life in her hands. Um, Did she with- have to have EpiPen on her at all times, just I in case. There was a me- there was times. there was a medic there at all times. She was that terrified that they had to hypnotize her for some of the scenes. So, um, and she ended up like being like, "No, I can't do this. Like that's making me feel really uncomfortable." And they had to stop. Yeah, she were- lost like a whole day of filming. Mm-hmm. She couldn't remember an entire day. So and, Jesus. Yeah. So obviously she didn't. Uh, she didn't want that to happen. Uh, this would have made this a very different movie as well. So Tony Todd wasn't the original person who was considered for the role of Candyman. It was Eddie Murphy. I don't, I feel like every actor has been in a horror film at some point, but I like, no, like Eddie Murphy couldn't do that. Also the fact, I think the, the, the actual thing they were, uh, the actual reason they gave us because Eddie Murphy was too short. He's five foot nine and Tony Todd is six foot five. Like there, there's a big difference between the two of them as well. Um, but like, don't get me wrong. Like Eddie Murphy's had his moments where he's, he's an okay actor. Eddie Murphy is also pretty problematic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, no, I can't, I can't see that happening. Um, if Virginia Madsen for any reason needed to pull out of this movie, Sandra Bullock was uh, then pretty unknown, I think as well. Um, she was the person who was going to replace her. I love me some Sandy B. I know you do. <laughs> I, would, I would actually be up for that. I think she'd do she that role pretty well. Job. Yeah. She's someone who always understands the assignment. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then final piece of trivia. Uh, on the final day of filming, despite having this agreement with the, the sort of gang members at Cabrini Green, um, someone actually shot the production van with a sniper rifle and it went completely through the van uh, and I think it it missed someone but not by very much uh, luckily no one was hurt but yeah the, the van was shot at during the final day of filming do they know why they did I mean why not <laughs> I know someone had a sniper rifle and thought ah <laughs> just for the bants <laughs> so that's all I've got then for trivia do any of you guys as always I know sometimes you like to do your own little pieces of research any of you guys have any other little fun facts no I think I've said all mine oh, blown your load early eh, Lindsay I don't know if that's a compliment or not I think it is. Anyways, um, let's move on to the next. You're going a bit red there, Lindsay. You're all right. <laughs> I've been red the whole time. It's <laughs> um, Let's move on to our final section then. We're going to do the ratings and our final thoughts. And as always, we will start off with the critics' scores. Dear, oh dear. 
IMDB scored this movie 6.6 out of 10. Metacritic scored it 61 out of 100. Oh, Uh, shite. So it's time to play our Rotten Tomatoes guessing game. I know you are all so such a big fan of this. Like, it's the most exciting thing. It's more exciting than the movie. I don't know if the listeners actually love this game, but I do. Oh, that's fine. Because we all love a well, you guys love a competition. I'm not the competitive queen here. Lucy, like, every single time we talk about anything, it's like, oh, I'm not competitive. I write. (laughs) I'm not. Oh, you are. You're the worst one out the law of us. You know why? Because at least we admit it. <laughs> so, uh, we will go with Lucy. Can go first since she would admit it that she's uh, uh, that she's competitive. What do you think the Rotten Tomatoes critics scored this movie? Well. We know critics hate horror movies, and hearing there are those really low scores, I'm gonna say 65. 65%. Okay, uh, Lindsay, what do you think the critics scored this film? Um, I'm gonna go 60. Okay, well, she might not admit it, but she'll be happy because Lucy is gonna take this one. <laughs> victory dance and everything <laughs> uh, the critics scored this movie 75 percent oh, which i was when i first when i saw those first two and i was like oh i was a bit more pleasantly surprised at that one um critics consensus though didn't particularly thrill me though it ultimately sacrifices some mystery in the name of gory thrills mm-hmm. Candyman is a new <laughs> nuanced effectively chilling tale that benefits from an interesting premise and some 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 fine performances where's the gore in this film <laughs> bernadette that's about it really isn't it and it's like over like that yeah because critics don't like horror movies that's all it is um we'll move on to the listeners so Lindsay, you can go first this time what do you think the rotten tomatoes audience scored this movie I'm going to go for 85. 85%. Okay, uh, Lucy? I'm going to go a little bit higher just because it is like a fan favourite. Um, so I'm going to go 90. 90%, which is almost prices right at you there. I know. <laughs> um, this shooketh me to the chorus. 62% from the audience. What? So, Lindsay, you're going to take that one. Well, I'm happy I won. But I'm happy still. I won, but 62%. I'm I am fuming at that. Fuming. So, it gets to that time of the episode where we can give our ratings. Who wants to go first? Will I go first since it's my choice of film? No, you always go last. Oh, well. That just... I'll, do you want me? I'll go. I'll go first. Okay, Lucy, you go first. What are you going to score, Candyman, on a scale of zero to ten? I'm not going to lie. I was very tempted to purposely score this low just to make you raging, but I'm not going to. Um, quite fucking right too. <laughs> <laughs> no, this this is a really good movie. I know we've been quite nitpicky, um, but it is it is a great movie. It's a fan favorite for a reason. Tony Todd in this is just 
fantastic. I think he's one of the most iconic serial killers, horror villains there is out there. Um, I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. It would be more if it wasn't for the plot holes with Helen and like escaping and not getting arrested. That that bit just doesn't sit right with me, but overall, 8 out of 10. Great movie. Okay. Lindsay? Um, yeah, I can obviously say like the worst thing about this film is that I don't hate it, so I can't wind up Ian. But <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, this is an amazing film. Um, I really like really 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 rate it I can't believe I've waited so long to watch it and obviously there are a few little niggles but it's more to do with the fact it was made in 1992 so as much as I'd love to give it a nine I'm going to give it an eight just for those little niggly bitties Um, I'm going to give it an eight out of ten it's a really good film and I can't wait to see the sequel well I think it's a based on very harsh very very harsh (laughs) Very harsh. Um, <laughs> look, I said it right at the beginning. This is one of my favourite movies of all time. Not just horror movies of all time. I get some of the points that you guys are bringing up in terms of, you know, there's problematic things. But Lindsay, you also said, look, this film was made in 1992. And we do, you do still have to put that qualifier mm. in there. I think Tony Todd gives one of the finer uh, uh, horror movie performances. Like, I, I think this... You know, we, we talk about how in the last sort of four or five years, people like Tony Collette, like Lupita Nyong'o, like Florence Pugh, like Elizabeth Moss were cruelly overlooked for major awards. I think Tony Todd is in that category as well for this movie. I think his performance is that fucking good. I think he's amazing. Um, I think he does something that no other slasher villain does and he just gives his character that level of sort of gravitas and there's so much depth to his character whereas slasher characters and slasher villains tend to be so one-dimensional I think this movie just completely breaks the mold in terms of slasher movies it's like no other you know especially in terms of the major ones um I'm gonna I'm gonna dock it a half point for Stacey's acting when she fucking sees Helen. That sort of, oh, there you are, acting. <laughs> um, but that's all I'm docking it. I'm giving this nine and a half. Fair. Because I, I fucking love it. <laughs> so, um, combining our scores with the critics' scores, and this still makes me mad, it gives Candyman an average score of seven out of ten. I still think that's a little bit harsh. It puts it in 43rd place of the now 103 movies that we have covered on the podcast. It gives it the exact same score as Yummy from 2019. But this is funny. Gives it the exact same score as Hellraiser. So Clive Barker, just a consistent 7 out of 10. I think that's quite amusing. It's funny how that, because that happens quite often. How many times have we done that where, you know, a movie either is, you know, gets a very similar score or ends up right next to, you know, a a reboot or, you know, a sequel or something else from that director or something like that. That actually happens more often than we think. Just for a other little bit of context, it puts it one place below Gerald's Game. I would think this is a better movie than Gerald's Game. Yeah, it is. It, this is this is where I start to have an issue because it puts it one place above Warm Bodies, and Warm Bodies. I'm <laughs> sorry, Lucy, is not doesn't touch this. Doesn't touch this. 
I'm I'm in agreement with you, but it kind of makes me smile that it's done that because it, it it irks you. So yeah. <laughs> oh, Wolfie makes a good point. How fitting, Candyman and Yummy in the same spots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right. Um, okay, so we'll get into the listener opinions. Um, if for anyone who is in the chat, feel free to send in your overall opinions. We'll try and read some of them out as well. But we've got some from our socials. First of all, now that we're doing these shows live, I can actually read out the results of the polls on the episodes because every week we put out a poll for our oh. movies, for what our listener thinks. And I've already got the results for this week's poll. Um, this is the first poll I've not voted in because I hadn't seen the film when you put it out. Oh. I was like, uh, I was like, oh no, I'm not gonna get to vote with it. <laughs> That's because I always put the poll out after we record the episode, yeah. isn't it? But now, <laughs> now we can't do that because we record live. Um, so this poll had 122 voters. 81% voted yay on this movie. 14% voted meh, and just 5% voted nay and that face from Lindsay because we're keeping track of this over the course of the year and we're seeing who has the best results and that face from Lindsay is the face because she knows that she's just been right bumped off the top spot <laughs> no that face is actually for the people who voted met and nay but I'll I quite happily lose my top spot to Candyman you'll quite happen you're quite happy bottom for you'll quite happen bottom for Candyman will you <laughs> This is the only bottom bitch here. <laughs> bottom, get to fuck. <laughs> Calling me out like that, my gosh. Whips out a strap on, Ken. <laughs> uh, anyways, we put it out onto our social medias. Here's some of the responses we got. G Alex on Twitter says, excellent movie, an instant classic. Yep. <laughs> Knuckle Puppy. What a, what a name. What a name that is. I wasn't able to face my fear of this and farewell to the flesh until I was 22. Could be worse. You're almost in your 30s, like Lindsay. Uh, Who's the oldest? Wait a minute. Who, who? I know I was freaking granddad over there. I, I thought you were older than me. No, you're older than me. You're older than me by like four months. How old's your husband, Lucy? <laughs> He's old as fuck. I know that. <laughs> Sorry, Ricky. <laughs> I felt that was so harsh. <laughs> I say it every day. Um, now they're just great horror films. I really should have read out the rest of that person's review. Uh, Pierre Adrian Waydart says, it's fantastic. It's got a uniqueness that I love. Dana Nofke, I tweeted a list of five perfect slashers and there was no way that Candyman wasn't going to land on it. Ben Pal R, one of the few horror films that still really gets to me only issue I have, and as soon as I read that, I switched off, to be honest, is the tacked on reincarnation of the lost love trope, which I think was unnecessary. But regardless, it's so formidable and never loses its power for me. I disagree with that, just simply for the fact is the lost love angle of this is such a massive part of this movie. Mm, it's like, what makes it un unique. Yeah, like, yeah. But I get that that's not going to be like for everyone, but that, that is the main thing that makes this unique. Yeah, definitely. And uh, finally, Shaza, cl classic name there. Uh, the Bees Haunt Me, man. Really good movie. So uh, the general consensus is that people love this movie, just not the people on fucking Rotten Tomatoes. Like, what the fuck's going Bizarre. on with that? But uh, yeah, the general consensus is that people fucking love this movie, and quite rightly too. So last thing I want to ask you, Lindsay, 
did I oversell this to you? Because I was telling you how great this film was before you went in to watch it for the podcast. Was you, did it live up to the expectations that I had set? I mean, like, yeah, to be honest, you know, for the first time ever, uh, oh, I don't know why I'm going to compliments. You're just like, gonna are you saying that? Are you, are, are you saying? Are you saying that? Uh, <laughs> are you saying that I was right? Okay, fucked. <laughs> I'll never cross my mind. Um, but no, like it's from the start, like the opening narration. I was like completely captivated. I was like, oh, phone down for this one. Like, actually, we'll concentrate on this one. <laughs> so I was right. Good. Um, Lucy, any sort of parting thoughts about Candyman? Just really enjoyed it. Like I said, I, I had seen it before, but it had been a hell of a long time. And um, I just want Tony Todd to narrate everything in my life ever. I want him to narrate my life because that voice, chef's kiss. I just want Tony Todd to come and cradle me. <laughs> I thought you were going to say someone else there. Well, that too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get that like vibe from him. I was like, I just want him to look after me. Yeah, like I am. Like you know what yeah, I feel like great. Tony Todd would be good for when you're hungover, and you just have like that soothing voice as he strokes your hair. What You've got the you fear, have. and you just need to be told everything's okay. Yeah, that that I think that would be good. But anyways, that's going to do it then for this episode. Uh, up next week if you're listening sorry to this live in the chat room stick around because we will be doing the post show once we finish the episode um for those who are listening on the download thank you for listening on the download we really really appreciate it um but up next on the podcast in just two days time we're going to be recording our next episode and we go all the way back to lucy it's lucy's choice again what are we going to be talking about on thursday well, you know, I choose great fucking movies. So, of course, it's another banger. <laughs> Look at Lindsay. Oh. That's the funniest thing you've ever said. <laughs> Shade. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about um, Daybreakers, which have either of you, I don't know, have either of you actually seen Daybreakers before? No. It's, um, it's, like a mo- it's a modern vampire movie. It's kind of similar to, to True Blood in a sense, a um, little bit of like 30 days of night vibes. You know, we talked, We, I think you, me and Ian, you talked, we talked about 30, 30 days of night um, a couple months ago. So yeah, modern vampire movie. <laughs> that, episode was a year, that? that episode was a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, time doesn't exist in lockdown. That episode sorry, was, like, a, was like a full year ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, I won't give We've done a hundred too- episodes since then. I think that was episode thirty because it was thirty days a night. Whereas this is episode one hundred and thirty nine. I have no sense of time. But, um, <laughs> yeah, just mo- modern modern vampire movie um, set in a metropolis dystopian future. That's all I'll say. It's good though. I like it, and I'll be excited to see what you guys think of it. I'm always excited to watch something new that I've not seen before. That was always one of the things about the podcast as well. Is that it would make me especially. Now that obviously, you know, it's the three of us doing it since the start of the year, it was going to force me to sort of watch movies that I might not have chosen myself um, because I probably would never have chosen to do Daybreakers myself, not because of how I feel about it. I've not seen it just because I would have chosen to do something else. So I'm excited. I'm excited to to get it watched and to see how it, see how it is. So I'll be very much looking forward to that. Um, Lucy, where can people find you? 
can find me on Twitter and Twitch at Lulu underscore Pew. Like I'd mentioned earlier, doing a fundraiser for the whole month of June for Pride Month, fundraising for mermaids, going to be having weekly guests, playing all the gay games. Um, so if you can support, that'd be greatly appreciated. Tune into the streams because it's going to be a grand gay old time. Indeed. <laughs> uh, Lindsay, where can people find you? I'm at Hi, it's Lindsay underscore on all social media. Don't forget on our own social media accounts, Twitter is at Screams Behind. We've got Lindsay who takes over every single Saturday and Sunday. We've had, you had a very busy weekend last weekend. I did, I did indeed. People were people were were loving the things you were putting out. And every Sunday on our Instagram, we have Lucy taking over the podcast's Instagram account with your spooky recommendations for uh, some horror content and a horror content creator as well. So keep tuned for them because um, you shout out some some pretty cool people and give some pretty cool recommendations there as well. You can find the download for this podcast if you would like to listen to it back on all major podcasting platforms. It will go up tomorrow, hopefully. It'll also go up onto our YouTube channel um, as well, so you can check us out there. But once again, thank you for downloading the episode. We appreciate it, and we hope you'll join us next time on Behind the Screams.